0: Good morning, church. Good to see all of you today. Uh, got a couple of housekeeping things I need to talk about before I get rolling here. Number one, you're going to start seeing some stuff come out, uh, I think, over social media and over the news um, newsletter that we're kind of making a shift this year. Um, for the last three or four years, we've been doing the Night Out Against Crime in downtown Broken Arrow, and this year we're going to do something a little bit different. This year we are going to be doing some trick or treating stuff at Lancaster Park which is like a couple blocks away from here. We decided that we wanted to do something a little more local. So, we're going to go to the park, we're going to pass out cotton candy and we're going to do all the things that we did um for uh, Night Out Against Crime, but we're going to do it in the local neighborhood because this is where we are and we want to connect with the folks that are that are near us. So Lancaster Park's like a block or two away, um, around the corner from where Machina lives, if you know where that is. And so we're inviting everybody to come out for a trick-or-treat. Even if you don't have kids, we still need you to help out. And um, those of you who do have kids, uh, feel free to go trick-or-treating, come back, help us out. Um, I think trick-or-treat is between six and eight, and we're just gonna kind of hang out together and be in the park and then just be among our neighbors because this is our neighborhood too. So uh, keep that in mind. I wanted to start talking about that a little bit. You'll see some things that are coming up and more details as, as time goes on. Does that make sense? If you have questions about it, you can ask any one of the staff. We'd be delighted to chat with you about it. Frankly, I'm kind of excited about this. Um, if you did night out against crime with us, it's like 40,000 people, and at the end of the night, it's just like it's like a conveyor belt. I mean, we don't even get a chance to talk to anybody. And we thought, no, we wanna do something a little bit different this year and connect a little more locally, so we're pretty excited about that. Okay, second thing, next week is a big week for us because next week Thrive Church is three years old, which is really cool, right? So we're gonna have something, a little celebration type of thing. And I'm looking forward to that, so keep that in mind. Thank you for all, all of you who have been part of this and joining us in this. It's kind of fun to think about that, that we're three years old already and uh, doing quite well, although it seems like a lot of our friends are out sick or traveling or something this week, so anyway, that's all right. Finally, and most importantly out of all of this, today is Pastor James's birthday, So please make sure that you wish him a happy birthday today. All the other things aside, James turns 36 today, so anyway. All right, (laughs) wow, he's how old? (laughs) Just playing with you? Anyway, all right, uh, we're in this series. uh, uh, We're dealing with uh, spiritual disciplines. Um, Every single year... uh, we try to choose a theme for the year. And over the last, well, since, obviously since January, but actually before January, we've been doing this idea of called Chasing After the Presence of God. And we, we're, we're talking about this from a corporate standpoint. That Yes, we do this on Sundays. Yes, we try to do this the first Wednesday of every month. Where we're, when we gather together, God is here, and we know this because the text says, "When two or more are gathered in your name, or gathered in my name, there I am with you." This is what Jesus says. Well, guess what? We're gathered in His name, so we know that He's actually here. So we're we're trying to deal with this on a corporate level, you know, like I said, Sundays and Wednesdays, but also individually. And and so what we're what we've been attempting to do is to talk about these these spiritual practices or what's been commonly referred to as spiritual disciplines. And I talk a little bit about them on Sunday morning, and then from 4 until 5 o'clock at Thrive Space, 81st and Aspen, you can go and do a lab with Pastor James, and he'll um, either give you an exercise or kind of do a deep dive. I, if you missed last week, oh man, it was, it was really good. We dealt with, um, with praise and thanksgiving, and it was, it was a really neat exercise. And I, 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 I walked away from that just feeling very good. But ultimately, what we're attempting to do as a church is we made this promise a long time ago that we were going to do everything possible to connect people to God and others through Jesus so that they can thrive. And that's kind of where the name, you know, came from. And and the idea here is to use these ancient practices, things that have been developed over, you know, centuries to help us to, you know, find ways to connect with God. I'll talk a little bit more about that. And so the first uh, first two that we covered was study and submission, then we did prayer and meditation, and then last week we did worship and celebration, uh, which was very interesting for me. It was a very interesting study. Um, today we're going to pick up fasting and solitude. I'm going to talk about each one of these. Fasting and solitude. Now normally we, 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 we take prayer and we put it with fasting and and uh, this time we wanted to, wanted to shift things around a little bit, help us to think a little more deeply about these things. Because our intention is to be a thoughtful church, right? And so sometimes you got to shake things up just so that you can think about them differently. And that's worth doing, I think. And so what I'm going to attempt to do is to describe, illuminate both these uh, ideas and then offer some thoughts on, on how we can, how we can you know, practice them how uh, we can exercise them. So let's pick this up first on, on the idea of fasting. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, I don't like fasting. <laughs> I just don't, I don't enjoy it at all. I know it's good for me. And, and I, have have you seen lately now there's this this thing that's called intermittent fasting? Have you seen this? Um, God bless them for the people who can do that, but that's something that I, Anyway. Here's my definition of fasting. It's eliminating food and drink over a specified time for spiritual purposes. It's eliminating food and drink. Now, here's the thing. On rare occasion do you do you eliminate everything because human beings need water. So you probably, if you're fasting, you need to drink water. I've got some more um, thoughts on this. But before we get rolling here, I want you to understand that when we're, we're we're eliminating food and drink. Um, but typically speaking, you, you want to stick with water. And you want to do it over a specified period of time. This is important. You, you, don't, you don't fast all the time. Although if you're doing the intermittent fasting thing, I think that's more for health purposes than it is for spiritual purposes, which is the last part of this. Is that it's for a spiritual reason. It's when you take a physical need and you set it aside um, for a spiritual reason. Is this making sense? So fasting, at least in the Christian definition, is to eliminate food and drink over a specified time for spiritual purposes. And one of the things I want to point out to you is in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, this is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is making a, a series of teachings, and here's what he says. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, I want you to notice something about the text here. It says, when you fast. Jesus presumes that people that he's talking to will be fasting at some point. Remember, he's Jewish. He's a Jewish rabbi. And in Judaism, fasting is a regular practice that people did as part of uh, various um, religious exercises. They had their own spiritual disciplines. So it's a Jewish custom, and he presumed that people would actually fast. So he says, when you fast, right, don't draw attention to yourself. <coughs> there are some people who, they don't want to tell you something's wrong, but they're telling you something's wrong, right? And they make their faces, oh, oh, you okay? I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you sure you're all right? Oh, I'll be, I'll be okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. It'll be fine. Fine. When you know it's not, and that's what Jesus is saying, and he even calls him a hypocrite. Don't do that. Don't look so somber and scrunch up your face, like that disfigure your face. Scrunch it up a little bit. But notice what he says next. But when you fast, again, presuming that you're going to do it, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. Fasting but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And I think this is pretty important for us to to consider, is that he, he talks about the fact that, yes, fasting is something that you do, but if you're going to do it, keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Keep it secret. Just between you and God, and isn't that really what it is? Isn't if you're if you're setting aside physical needs for spiritual needs when you're putting that forward, isn't that between you and God? It's not like the person uh, that's you know next to you can help you with that. Only God can. So keep it between you and God is ultimately what he's saying here. It's not about the act. It's about the heart. It always is with Jesus. It's not about the activity, it's about the heart in which we, which we do it. So, a couple of things to, to think about with this. First of all, keep it a secret. It's between you and God. Now, you've seen this diagram before. This is the one that we've been operating from. This idea between me and God. And then we have an assignment. Each one of us has multiple assignments. We're a spouse, you know, we're a parent, we're an employee, we're an aunt, an uncle, whatever. We have multiple assignments. But in order to actually do them, we need that relationship, that foundational piece between us and God, solid. And so, really, all spiritual practices are designed to keep us at the bottom of the triangle, to really help focus on this calling that we have to be God's, to be His, to be in relationship with Him, to be communicating with Him. And so when we talk about about this thing, is that all of these spiritual practices are what we call bottom of the triangle sorts of of stuff. And so when we talk about fasting, keep it to yourself because it's the bottom of the triangle. Is this making sense? I think it's helpful. Now, I would would also point out, though, that yes, you need to keep it to yourself. But if you're going to fast, it's generally a good idea to at least uh, to enlist at least one confidant, somebody that can be praying for you through this, because if you're if you're doing any type of significant fast, it's hard on your body, and you need the prayer support. So it's a good idea. Yes, it's between you and God, but if you've got somebody that. Um, that can be supporting you in prayer, that's a really great idea. So enlist at least one person. Maybe you have a prayer partner, maybe you have an accountability partner, maybe you, you just have somebody in your life and go, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this fast. I'm trying to keep it on the down low. Would you mind praying for me? It's generally a good practice. The other thing that I would say about fasting is um, there's no randomness here, have a purpose for your fast. Because the idea is that we're, we're setting aside a physical need in order to put a spiritual need before God. Now, granted, all of us could use a little more Jesus, amen? But try to have some type of purpose for that fast. Maybe you have to make a decision. Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that's just a mess Maybe there's something else that's going on in your life. Maybe you're you're trying to deal with with your own junk. Whatever it happens to be, have a purpose for it. And I would also recommend you write it down. I had a friend of mine who said this. It's not real until you write it down. And I think that's true. So write it down and just say, God, I am fasting for this length of time for this reason. Would you please meet with me? And write that down. Nothing wrong with that. If you get a journal, it's a great place to do it. Otherwise, put a 3 by 5 card, something, post it note, whatever. Keep it in, in your mind. And so I would, I, would, I would definitely write it down, but make sure you have a purpose for it. What, what do you, it almost reminds me of when, when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I think Jesus still asks us that question. You know, why, why, are, you, why are you going to fast? Because remember, it's not about the act, it's about the heart. So what's that thing that's going on that's driving this? So when you fast, um, make sure that you, you write it down and then have a purpose for it. The other thing I, I want to, to make sure that I say is if, if you've not done fasting before, you need to start slowly. You need to build up for certain things. Start by skipping lunch. It's a really easy way to do it. On uh, one day a week or two days a week, whatever you want to do. Choose to not have lunch, but rather spend the time either reading your Bible or in prayer or some other type of spiritual practice. But start slowly. Don't try to do this thing all at once. Because your body will, will look at you and say, what are you doing? Right? That's what my body does. My body says, that was really dumb. Don't do that anymore. And I don't want that for anybody else. And so, Work your way up to it. Say you want to do a 24-hour fast. That's fine. But make sure that you, you get your body accustomed to the fact that you're not going to be eating as you regularly do. And one of the things that I've noticed when I've done that kind of fasting is that about the second or third day when I've skipped lunch, my body starts asking questions. What are you doing? And you think you're hungry, but you're not. Your body's just used to you eating at that point in time. And, and this is the other thing that I really hate about fasting. I'm just trying to be honest, right? I recognize something. I realize how much of my day is scheduled around food. Oh, my gosh. It's like you're constantly thinking about, what am I going to eat next? I'm not even hungry, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat next. And like, oh, I'm fasting. I can't even have a snack, whatever. You end up drinking a lot of water, which your body does like. So that's, that's a good thing. But make sure that you're building yourself up to this before you do any type of lengthy fast. If you do a three-day fast, uh, that's pretty significant. Even 24 hours can be significant if your body's not used to it, let alone some people who try to do 30 days. I don't, I don't know how they've done it. I've never tried it, um, but it, it's, I can see how that would be rough on you. So start with just skipping lunch and then expand it. Try, you know, missing two lunches. Um, and try three. You know, the point is is that you're you're trying to build your, your way up into this. And then what you could try to do then is instead of doing lunch one day and lunch the other day, try to try to skip either breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner. Does it make sense that you're doing two in a row? And try it that way so that you're giving your body some fuel as you're, as you're working your way up to this. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is don't, don't be random about it. Make sure you have a purpose, but also try to have some type of plan. What, what am I doing here? Um, and there have, been, there have been times where I have I've just said, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to eat today, so I guess I'll just fast. Bad idea. Because the whole point to that thing is that there's not any real spiritual purpose there, and there's no plan to it. You will fail. Just, that's the way human beings typically operate is that you have to have some type of purpose to it. You have to have a plan to it. So keep that in mind and try to give yourself a little bit of lead time as you work, you work your way into it. Now, lastly, <laughs> don't ever make a decision while you're fasting. Ever. <laughs> so when we, uh, when we tried this for, I think it was the first time Lisa and I we did this fast. This was years ago. We were trying to make, it was a big decision. I think we were trying to make a decision about, it was either a job or we were going to move, or I I don't remember exactly what it was. But if you are trying a 24-hour fast for the first time, just a word of warning, you are going to feel lousy. Your body doesn't like it because it's not used to it. And when you're... Feeling that way, that's a really bad time to make a decision. And I remember we had finished our fast and I had a headache, Lisa had a headache, and we needed to talk about whatever the decision was. And neither one of us felt like God was talking to us at all. And so we ended up grumpy, and then I think we had an argument, if I remember right. (laughs) Okay, that sounds spiritual, right? (laughs) You know, and then it's like, well, I'm never fasting again. So try to put off the decision until after you've fasted and your body hasn't had a chance to recover. Because I think what often happens is is that God reserves, reserves his communication with you until you're ready to receive it. And if you're hungry, you're not ready to receive it. Which is really good advice when you're talking with somebody about Jesus Let's make sure their physical needs are taken care of first. Some of you have heard me tell this story. John Wesley, when he would send his his pastors out and they would go visit people in various towns, they had to always inquire to make sure that the people they were visiting had enough food in the pantry and they had enough wood for their fire before they could ever inquire about their souls. There's a reason for that. Hungry people can't hear about God over the rumbling of their stomachs. The same is true with you when you're fasting. If you're fasting, your body's going through all of this stuff, you're not going to hear that. It's afterwards that God honors the fast and he speaks to you. Typically. God can do whatever he wants to do. This has been my experience. This is making sense. So if you're going to choose to do a discipline like this, make sure you have a purpose, make sure you have a plan, and never make a decision <laughs> until afterwards. Um, in fact, uh, break your fast, say a prayer, and don't talk about it if you're doing it with your, with your spouse. Um, keep that one to yourself, and then wait to talk about it when Jesus actually communicates. That makes some sense. So, fasting. So the idea here is we're eliminating food and drink for a specified period of time for a spiritual, spiritual purpose. What would happen, though, if we applied that more broadly, if we, if we talked about it not just in the sense of food and drink, but if we talked about eliminating some other things? Well, that's what solitude is. Solitude is basically fasting applied to interaction with other people, with other things. Solitude is about, um, well, here it is, eliminating external inputs, outside inputs over a specified time for spiritual purposes. Now, now this is important because we're not talking about food here. Although you, you may choose to do fasting with solitude, but sometimes solitude is enough. But what happens is what you're you're doing is you're eliminating those things that are putting stuff in your brain for a specified time for a spiritual purpose. You see where the overlap is, right? We're not just talking about food and drink, but we're talking about external um, inputs like, oh boy, here we go, social media, phones, television technology. The ancient monks would actually do speech. They would would be silent for a period of time. They wouldn't even allow speech between each other. Uh, The desert fathers would do the same thing. They would be alone and they wouldn't actually talk to one another for specified periods of time because they were in solitude. Now, I want you to see this. This is Mark chapter 1. This is Jesus. Early Uh, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. So, interesting to think about this. He went off to, what's it say? Solitary, right? Some translations have the word lonely, lonely place, which is interesting. Interesting. The Greek term that's used here um, carries with it the idea of deserted. It means there's no people. He went to a place where there was no people. Why? Because at the time, that was the primary external inputs. He didn't have Facebook. So he went off where there wasn't any people, where he could be alone with God. He could actually eliminate all of the inputs for a specified period of time for a spiritual purpose, to connect with God, to be at the bottom of the triangle, if that makes sense. I think this is an important thing to think about because notice what it says next. Everybody's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, hmm, if you think about this, Jesus turned off all of the external input so that he could be alone with God because he was getting ready to do major ministry. And sometimes that's a really important thing to think about. If you're going into a period where you have to uh, expend a lot of energy, it's very good for you to kind of turn those things up. Those of you who are introverts completely understand this. And then when it's all done, those of you who are introverts, you want to go back to the solitary place, right? Very true. So one of the things that we talk about with introversion and extroversion is that we think that it has to be, well, you like people or you don't like people. That's not true. It has to do with where you get your energy from. Extroverts tend to get energy from being around people. Introverts get energy by being by themselves. So solitude is kind of their thing. They get this. I believe. But notice what he does here. He recharges his batteries before he goes on to do some major ministry. Let me tell you, preaching's a big deal. So is driving out demons, probably more so. There's a lot of energy that's going out at this point. And so he goes and he gets alone with God in order to, to be ready for these types of things. Think of it this way, it's much like your cell phone. I don't know about your cell phone, but I think mine charges faster when I turn it off. Maybe that's not true technologically, but it sure seems that way to me. And by the way, when you turn it off and you turn it back on, your operating system does all of its updates too. What does that tell you? So when I'm at the bottom of the triangle, I'm turning, I want to try to turn things off so that I recharge a little bit faster and I need the updates. Because I don't know about you, I need Jesus to update me <laughs> periodically to help me deal with, with some of those things. So keep that in mind. <clears throat> now, how do you practice solitude? Hmm. How do you do this? It'd be nice if you had a beach, right? That's why I chose a scene. <clears throat> Something about the waves on the shore. So here's a question. What distracts you? What is it that distracts you? Hmm, start with that. For the vast majority of us, it's this little computer that we hold in our hands. Now, here's the deal, and I think I've talked about this before. You got your cell phone. Yes, there's all kinds of distracting things on your cell phone. But it's not going away. That, that, that piece of technology is not going away. In fact, it's going to amp up and go faster. And it's going to become more integrated into our lives. And so the question is, what are you going to do with that? So let's not lament and go, oh, well, we just can't have cell phones. No, that doesn't work. The point is, is that you have to consciously choose to turn that thing off and to set it aside. Maybe you need some digital solitude. Now, I'm not suggesting that's the only type of solitude, but I'm saying that's a great place to start. So if the phone is your distraction, turn it off, set it aside for a little while. Your world will not collapse, I promise. How many of you remember life without smartphones? How many of you remember life without cell phones? How many of you had a bag phone? I did too. I had a bag phone. It was this big and I was cool <laughs> for having it. And, on my belt, I had a pager. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, yeah, pager. So that when the pager went off, I didn't have to go to the pay phone. I just picked up my cell phone and got charged $3 a minute <laughs> or something crazy like that. I don't remember the point is, is that that part's not going away. So what are you going to do in an effort to try to have some solitude? Whatever distracts you, start with that. Maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's your computer, maybe it's television, maybe it's, I don't know what it is. For you, you need to decide what that is. Start with there. start eliminating some of those input, in, in, inputs. And here's something else to think about with solitude. I know that there are some people who the idea of solitude scares them to death because they're afraid to be alone with their thoughts. And some of you don't know that that's why, but this idea of solitude bothers you because you're afraid to actually be alone with your thoughts. And why not? Why do I have, you know, I don't, why why would I want to deal with my own stuff when, you know, I can I can see what's on YouTube, right? Face your fears. Solitude helps you to face your fears, whatever they are. It's one of those places where you get alone with God and you have all the inputs turned off. And he'd say, God, I'm afraid. What do I do with this? And you have to trust that he's going to meet you there. And so that's that's my advice is to face your fears. Go ahead, turn the inputs off. Get alone with God. Don't be afraid to be alone with your thoughts. God will meet you in that place as well. I do believe that. Another great place for you to ask for prayer support. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a a friend or somebody where you're going, you know, I'm going to try to just like go unplugged for a little bit for the next couple of hours. Would you mind praying for me? Great, great thing to do. It's not a long-term commitment on their part. It's one and done, and it it will help you over a period of time. You want to lean into God's presence during that period. But don't, don't be afraid to also borrow the prayers and energy of someone that you know and someone who cares about you. The other thing is that if you're engaged in some type of solitude, please don't be surprised if heaven is silent for a time. Don't be surprised if you don't feel like God is speaking to you. And, and the reason why I say that is I think God sometimes asks us do do you really want me do do you really want to connect with me and it's not that he's challenging but he's really trying to see where your heart is because remember it's not the activity that you're doing it's the heart and he wants to know where's your heart in all of this and yes you're going to turn that off and i appreciate that god says but at the end of the day he goes do you really do you really want me And I think that even if heaven, heaven is silent, you need to believe that God wants to connect with you. Does that make sense? I know that sounds like they're two separate things, but I think it's very important to say, okay, God, yes, I want you, and, and I believe that you want to connect with me. I, I'm just going to tell you up front, if you don't believe it yourself, you can borrow from me. God wants to connect with you. Now, he may not want to connect with you in the way that you want to connect, but he does want to connect with you, and you have to believe that, especially when the heavens are silent. So keep that in mind. Set a timer if it helps. If it helps you to concentrate on this, it is okay to set a timer for a period of time. You know, maybe it's 60 minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes. You know, for some of you, five minutes is going to be a big enough deal, right? you go like, oh, God, that just took forever. Turn the phone back on. Now, Push yourself a little bit, you know, but it's okay. Set a timer so that you have an opportunity and know that there's, that there's an end to that thing. <clears throat> Introverts, I know that you're likely to like this. However, my question is, can you do nothing? Can you do nothing in solitude? No books? Uh, no tasks? Because if your house is like mine, there's always dishes to do, Right? There's always things to clean. There's always laundry. There's always, I, you know, I, that's just the way our house is too. But if, if you're kind of introverted and you like to be alone, typically you don't just sit and do nothing. You're doing stuff by yourself. You're either reading or you're doing. Can you not do that? Can you actually sit alone with God? Can you do that? Or maybe it's journaling or something. Journaling's fine point is you're trying to interact, in, interact that way but if you're practicing solitude you're turning off inputs that includes tasks, that includes books, what you're attempting to do is connect with God. Introverts, can you do that? It's just a thought for you to think about this idea of solitude so where simplicity is about permanently reducing something, we're going to talk about that I think next week um, fasting and solitude is about temporarily eliminating things. And one of the things that you'll notice is if you look throughout the Old Testament especially, it's also about humility. Very much, fasting is about humbling yourself. And this was interesting. I was thinking about this a little bit. probably deserves a little more thought. But what you're saying is, is, God, you are greater than even my need for food. You are... You are even greater than my need for some type of external stimulation. You're greater than that. That's what you're ultimately saying to God. And and it makes some sense to me because when we're talking about fasting and especially solitude and this idea of humility, there's this confession here that says, yes, you are greater and I'm eliminating sin. Does this make sense? That's an external input, too. That's something else that enters into our lives and into our thought patterns. And so, in the Old Testament, this is often connected. Humility is connected to confession. And that makes sense because you're trying to eliminate sin. Those things, that barriers that set ourselves up against God. It's not just the distraction. It's also the sin that we've created. And I would, I would also finally say kind of just generally, I get the idea that fasting in solitude might feel weird. It might seem very, very strange, very foreign to you, but I want to encourage you to to try. And so everything that, that we try to do at Thrive is to connect you to God and others through Jesus so that you can thrive. And we believe that if you start with this idea, God wants to connect with you. And you participate, whether it's this practice or something else, God is going to connect with you so that you can thrive. So we think that's what God is after. You see, when we're in God's presence, we're in the bottom part of the triangle there, that's when we're changed. That's when we get direction. That's when we really start to sense that God is at work. I'll give me an example of this. Um my primary discipline uh, is journaling. And, you know, I've I mentioned this before. Uh, I try to do some of the others too, but even my prayers are journaled. I was doing that this morning before service. <clears throat> this week, well, actually the last couple of weeks, I felt, I felt off, just a little bit. And, and the way that shows up for me in my journal is I don't feel like I'm sensing anything from God, which is really frustrating. And uh, in my journal, I use a, a different colored uh, pen when I feel like God is saying something. And I have some pages where there's a lot of red. You know, where God's speaking, which is great. But then there's like four, or five, or six, seven, eight, nine, ten pages of just black. When it's just me. And that's okay, but it's, it's, a, very, it's a very frustrating feeling. And I was, I was feeling that way. And... Uh, um, I've been going through this kind of period of like introspection and kind of self-exploration and um, various and sundry things that are happening. Um, my life has changed, and my daughter's in college, which is totally weird. And anyway, there's there's those kinds of things going on. And, and I'm going I'm just gonna tell you that some of the stuff that I've been wrestling with in my journal has been painful. I know it's necessary, but it's not fun, and you have to you have to deal with that. And so the other day I was kind of journaling and okay I was whining all right I was whining to God I admit it I do it ask my wife I do it and I had this really strong sudden sense to pray for a specific person Um, that happens occasionally um, but this is somebody who's very close to me and I had this just distinct notion I need to pray for this person So I grabbed my phone and I did a quick text, just asked, how are you doing? The person sent a note back to me and something was wrong. And I knew exactly what to pray for. What kind of God put something on your heart at that moment in time when somebody really needs to hear from you? That sounds like a God who really loves you, doesn't it? And I had a specific thing to pray for. And there I had been whining about not hearing from God. <laughs> and God just wanted me to, to deal with the fact that it's not just about David and his introspection, but it's about the other people in his life to be for the other. And when you start to think that way, God answers so you had a chance to specifically pray for that person it was a it was a it's a beautiful kind of moment and you know what here's the thing as much as that person needed me to pray for them i needed to know that god wanted me to pray for them does this make sense Now, I'm in the middle of a coffee shop when this is happening. There's plenty of inputs. Caffeinated inputs. (laughs) And I'm not fasting on this, but the attempt is to be in the presence of God and allow Him to do His work. And so my encouragement for you today is to keep chasing the presence of God. Whether you choose fasting or solitude or one of the other disciplines does not matter to me. I just want you to be in God's presence because that's when we're changed. And you know what, church? That's when we become the church because the Spirit is directing and prompting you to pray for others and to care for each other. Because remember, Jesus said it very clearly. People will know you're my disciples by what? By the love you have for each other. Sometimes you need the Holy Spirit to go, bah. that's what I needed. Good things, self-exploration, introspection, all of that, need to do it. But at some point, you've got to start thinking about the people around you. So chase after the presence. Keep chasing. When we pay attention, we see how God moves. When we pay attention. So the challenge is, Get in the game. Get off the bench. Do something to find that presence of God. And see what He does. Not just in your life, but also through your life with others.